Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the History 300S Podcast. Today, I'll be discussing the geography and science of steel, both before 1856 and after 1857. The topic is extremely interesting, and I hope that you can be as enthused about it as I am after listening. So, buckle in, strap in, the Pittsburgh Steelers are 11-0, and I cannot be more excited to talk about steel. First, I'll talk about the steelmaking process before 1856. First, the steelmakers would remove carbon through a process called puddling. Puddling is essentially putting iron ore into a reverberatory furnace and stirring the molten iron, which oxidizes impurities and decreases the carbon content. The product of puddling was pig iron. Next, this pig iron was it put into steelmaking furnace by steelmakers, which would create wrought iron, which would then be heated with charcoal to reintroduce small amounts of carbon, which are essential to the crystallized structure of steel. The product of this process is blister steel. Next, refining processes were developed by other steel makers to create steel such as shear steel and crucible, crucible steel. Now, what was the motive for making steel? Wrought iron seemed to have been doing just fine. Well, that's not quite the case. Many fields such as transportation and the military were limited, were limited by the strength of wrought iron. So, in turn, steel makers would try to create better and cheaper steel. However, they were largely unsuccessful before 1856. Next, I'll discuss the Bessemer process. The year 1856 was a monumental year for the steelmaking industry. Sir Henry Bessemer in Britain and William Kelly in Kentucky made a parallel discovery, which is quite impressive. The discovery was a new process for making steel titled the Bessemer process. Interestingly enough, at first, William Kelly had the patent for the process and Sir Henry Bessemer only had the patent for the machinery in the similar process. What was Bessemer's motive? Well, he wanted to make an improved form of wrought iron for military use. The process that the two men discovered is as follows. First, there's a pear-shaped Bessemer converter. The input is molten pig iron. And then the key to the process is hot air being blown through the Bessemer converter and through the molten iron. What this does is it oxidizes the impurities out of the iron. And this is key to the process and any process for making steel. Turns out oxidation is an exothermic reaction. Thus, the pig iron stays molten while the impurities are removed from the molten iron. This saves both time and money and is very efficient for making steel. Also, it creates a much stronger form of steel than previous processes created. With the correct timing, the Bessemer converter is tipped over and molten steel is the output. Now, there were many difficulties with this Bessemer process. First, the early Bessemer converters used an acidic inner lining. Whenever the iron ore has any sort of phosphorus in the ore, the phosphorus does not like to oxidize with an acidic inner lining due to the chemistry. So only non-phosphorus iron ores were able to be used by steelmakers with the early Bessemer converters. But with time and innovation, steelmakers improved the process so that the Bessemer converter could use phosphorus it could use iron ore with phosphorus in it. Also, with the Bessemer converters, plants needed to completely change their infrastructure and machinery. And this is no easy task. It requires a lot of capital and a lot of motivation. 
However, with the quality and price of steel that the Bessemer converter was able to create, it was worth it for many firms to completely transition to the Bessemer process. Now I would like to discuss the steelmaking industry after 1857. Here is it important to note where all this steel development has been taking place. Well, the short answer is Western Europe and the United States, specifically the Eastern United States. So after 1857, the quality of steel rapidly increased and also the cost of making steel rapidly decreased compared to steel making innovations prior to the year of 1857. Furthermore, mass production techniques in both Europe and the United States from the Industrial Revolution supported this rapid increase of steel usage throughout the world. The applications were numerous, such as military applications and transportations, specifically railroad ties and other railroad fixtures. However, the Bessemer process was not the only new mode of making steel. Competition played a huge role in this rapid development. The main competitor of the Bessemer process was the open hearth process. The open hearth process was a logical development of the puddling process and also like the Bessemer process was simultaneously or independently discovered by two groups of people. The first group was William and Friedrich Siemens in Britain and the second was Pierre and Emile Martin in France. So the process, as I said, was a logical development of the puddling process. It would take iron and use this iron ore to input it into open hearth flames, but the heat, the key difference is the heat was generated by gas in a, regener in a regenerative stove introduced by William Siemens. The key difference between the puddling process and the open hearth process was the form in which the heat was produced. So the two processes, open hearth and Bessemer, competed and created new forms of producing steel. The Bessemer process used a new form of energy to keep the molten iron molten while impurities could be extracted from the, from the molten iron, whereas the open hearth process used an old method with a new form of fuel and a new furnace to keep the molten iron heated to a significant enough temperature to create high quality steel. However, in both cases, the quality of heat and the quality of steel making increased the amount of labor required decreased, although labor will play a huge role in determining the geography of steel. And most importantly, in both cases, steel making technologists were able to create a uniform product that was high quality steel. Next is potentially the most interesting and most important question for my research topic. It is why did steel develop where it did? The geography of steel. Why is it the way that it is? To be very clear, I'm talking about steel from 1856 until the early 20th century in this portion. Specifically, steel technology developed in Western Europe and the Northeastern United States. And I argue that this is because of three reasons. First, the specific geographies of the regions greatly influenced the development of steel. In both Europe and the United States, there's a very rich content of iron ore. Also, both have many rivers. Rivers are very important for the transportation of steel. For example, if you look at the city of Pittsburgh, city of three rivers, also the steel city. These two go hand in hand. For when steel is made, it has to be transported to sell to other firms, thus making a profit, which fuels the whole steel making industry. 
So rivers are very essential, and iron ore obviously is very essential for the creation of steel. Next, both Northeastern United States and Western Europe had a very strong influence with the Industrial Revolution. For this reason, steelmakers were very motivated to create new innovations and new technologies. They were motivated by profit and by market incentive. So William Kelly and Henry Bessemer's dual discovery of the Bessemer process should be no surprise. Finally, in all of the regions where steel developed, there was a large number of laborers living in urban areas willing to work in steel mills, which were required for the development of steel technologies. In the United States, there were many immigrants coming from Western Europe because of their high concentration of workers in urban areas. In the United States, these immigrants, who were oftentimes unskilled laborers, found work in the steel mills. So these three factors, labor, the geography of Western Europe and the United States, and the Industrial Revolution allowed steel technologies to develop in these regions. As I previously stated, steel development and steel production was dominated by Western Europe in the United States until the mid-20th century. During the 20th century, a monumental shift occurred in the steel industry. An article by Kenneth Warren states that over three quarters of the steel before the 20th century and at the beginning of the 20th century was produced in Western European countries and the United States. By 1982, less than a third of steel production came from these same countries. Well, clearly, steel technologies and steel production dispersed throughout the world. Surprisingly, in 1982, the USSR surpassed the United States for the world's largest steel producer. Now, why did this happen? Steel technology developed in one area, and it was dominated in that area for many years. And then, in the 20th century, as I said, this monumental shift occurred. Now, China, India, Japan, these countries are starting to create steel for similar reasons why the United States and Western Europe developed steel technologies before these other areas. These reasons, as I stated, are labor, geography, and industry. The same arguments that I just stated can be applied to China, Japan, India, and other developing or developed, newly developed countries whose steel production has surged. Specifically, China had a government committed to laying a firm industry foundation for a planned economy. So this is very important. These three factors aren't the only reasons why steel production dispersed so significantly during the 20th century, but they do play a large role. Furthermore, China, India, and Japan all have many people willing to work in steel mills. And willing to work in a steel mill is not the, always the most rewarding job, as we will get to whenever we talk about big ideas in labor unions. However, the main idea is during the 20th century, the geography of steel changed significantly. And it wasn't a Western European and Northeastern American dominated geography anymore. It is throughout the world, specifically in Southern Eastern Asia. Also, countries in South America are developing steel technologies and are producing more and more steel each year.
So as we see, the trend of the geography of steel is dispersion from the main paradigm of Western Europe and the United States. And this change initiated during the mid 20th century. Next, I would like to talk about some of the big ideas in world history related to the geography of steel. So as I've stressed, labor is a large reason why steel produ production occurs where it does. So with steel mills, labor is a huge, huge, huge necessity. Also, working in a steel mill is not the best job to do for low wages. It is an extremely physically taxing job and conditions are not always the best. Being a Pittsburgh native, I understand the toll that steel mills take on people. Whenever my grandfather is growing up, he said that oftentimes coming home from school, they would have smog days because you could not see that well. It was like fog visibility wise, but it was smog. And if it snowed outside, you would see truly how sooty the city was. For this reason, many times labor unions created in areas where steel production was prominent. So what happened was steel workers realized that they were not indispensable. They were skilled workers and they cannot just be easily replaced. Also, you pair that sentiment with poor, poor treatment and poor conditions due to robber barons and their treatment of their workers, robber barons such as Andrew Carnegie. This causes a lot of unrest within laborers which causes laborers to create their own labor unions and fight back against the robber barons and their large steel industries. The tension between the labor unions and steel companies can very well be seen through an article about the labor unions in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is an interesting case study because for many years, the only or the largest output was steel and it is still dubbed the steel city. So it is important to note that labor unions and workers' rights is a huge idea in relation to the geography of steel. The next big idea I would like to discuss is steel completely replacing iron. Whenever steelmakers created better processes to make steel, a lot of the times they were trying to just refine their iron making processes and accidentally made steel as a product. Well, this turned into steel being way more used than iron after the mid 19th century. McNeil best puts it whenever he says that the Bessemer process and the discovery of Bessemer of the Bessemer process completely changed the steel and iron businesses and markets because of the large scale replacement of iron with steel. What were the uses? Well, the uses were numerous tools, railroads, military, construction, etc. Steel is very useful, it is very strong, it is, very, it is much lighter than iron, so for this reason it is a much more attractive option. Also, as I said, the competition drove steel prices down, so for this reason, iron didn't become obsolete, however, steel largely reproduced, or sorry, replaced iron in the developed world and then throughout the world as years passed. The third big idea that I wish to discuss in relation to my deep dive number two is an idea from McNeil. In the pursuit of power, McNeil specifies that at some point in human history, humans were able to turn a specific need or even a future need into an invention that would alleviate this need. I think that the development of steel technologies and the geography of steel and the science of steel does a very good job of representing this big idea. Take the following quote 
from Temin in her book titled Iron and Steel in the 19th Century. The quote says, the parallel discovery of this process, referring to the Bessemer process, by two people working independently may indicate that there was some kind of pressure for the discovery of a process in the iron and steel industry. Furthermore, an incentive for the two Bessemer groups to solve their problems was provided by the demand for steel rails. So, it's very explicitly stated that a demand and incentive caused both William Kelly and Sir Henry Bessemer and other steelmakers to research and develop and tinker in order to make innovations that created a better product of steel at a lower cost. So, in summary, the three big ideas in relation to the geography and iron, the geography and science of steel, both before 1856 and after 1857, are labor unions, the complete replacement or the almost complete replacement of iron with steel, and finally, McNeil's big idea turning a need into an invention, and how humans are extremely impressive. Finally, after developing my research and arguments, I would like to clearly state my thesis. My thesis is as follows. Humans initiated a monumental shift in industry during the 19th century. As we read in The Pursuit of Power, humans began to invent new processes based on a current or even a future need. Much of the world needed strong and reliable building material at a cheaper cost. Consequently, Henry Bessemer and William Kelly simultaneously discovered similar processes of making cheaper, stronger steel. This discovery sparked competition in a complete paradigm switch, as people everywhere began to rely on steel. At first, steel production, however, was mainly centralized in Europe and the northeastern United States due to geographical, labor, and industrial factors. During the 20th century, however, this changed, and steel production dispersed throughout the world. Thank you for listening to my arguments, and I hope that you're able to take something from my research and what I have been stating. This has been an extremely interesting topic for me as a Pittsburgh native to better understand the product that truly made my city what it is. And it has been extremely beneficial for me. So thank you.